Blog Talk Radio. Don Henderson, we have our normal crew on deck. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida, and what a big night in Tampa. The National Hockey League, of course, of the 
lady playing in New York at Madison Square Garden gets underway in about a half hour from right now. We'll chat about that. And, of course, Roger Hendler in Atlanta, home of the championship Atlanta Braves. Although they are struggling, struggling, struggling in 2022, our leader, our producer, our director, the man that really puts the show all together for us, Frank Carroll, is behind the control. And, Frank, I know you got a dedication and you also have a commercial, so let's get that out of the way first, and we'll go right to Roy Cummings and talk about the Lightning. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, on Monday of this week, we, we celebrated uh, one of the most solemn days in the calendar uh, of our calendar. Uh, it was to honor those who have gone before us and served so faithfully. Uh, some gave all, all gave some. Um, for those people who had family members that were lost during the world wars, uh, trying to keep peace, freedom is not free. And you're seeing that right now uh, in, uh, all over the world. Uh, but for those people that, uh, that, Really, um, the other people that we wanted to to allow is the the gold star families. Uh, gold star are those who've lost their family members, especially the mothers that had survived uh, without anyone else after they've lost a child. To lose a child is the most horrible thing in the world. So to them, we dedicate this. Well, as you said, Frank, it's uh, something just, just that uh, none of us will. None of us will have a chance to forget. So uh, we'll get right into the program now, and, and uh, we'll bring Roy Cummings in first hey, because hold, the Lightning are Don playing in about a half. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we just sat around and did a little bit of difficulty here. We're getting it right up. If tomorrow all the things were gone, work around the night. And I had to start again Just my children and my worries I think my lucky stars Can be living here again Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm and I won't forget the man who died, who gave that word to me. And if I just care, yeah. and to you, if it's been her to me, cause there ain't no Thank you. 
I believe that was the singing sergeant. Yes, sir, it was. Yep, uh, sent sent to me by a good friend, and Don knows him uh, well, too. Roger Gibson, RG. We appreciate that contribution. All right, let's get to the show now. As I said, uh, Roy Cubbies is right now in Tampa, Florida, and he covered the lightning from the very first day they came to Tampa, Florida, and uh, really right straight through, and now looking for the third consecutive Stanley Cup, looking for a division win right now to go into the finals. And, uh, Roy, I, I know a lot of things you could reminisce about, but this is going to be quite a series. The Rangers and the Lightning, and the Rangers have had no time to rest. No, uh, that's obviously one of the big uh, storylines at this point is the, the rest versus rust. Um for the lightning, uh, you know, we'll find out uh, soon enough here in about 20, 20, 30 minutes. We'll start to figure that out. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at that situation. Uh, the lightning have to kind of rev things up again. Um, but they're used to that. They've, they've sat out uh, for three, four, five days before, before starting a series against the team. They, they have a tendency at times to finish teams off rather quickly in the playoffs and then have to wait around for an opponent. Um, the fact that they had to travel uh, – doesn't help them, obviously. I mean, clearly the Rangers have some momentum going. Uh, they've been playing extremely well. Look, guys, I thought Carolina was the best team in the East all season long. Um, I thought they were better than Florida, which won the President's Trophy. I thought they were much better than Tampa. Uh, I thought they were a better team than uh, the Rangers, but um, obviously that's not how it played out in the playoffs. Again, it's one of the reasons the Stanley Cup playoffs are so good and so exciting, and so hard to predict is you just never know who's going to have the edge and you know here we can predict uh you know this one as well but uh how close will we be it, it's hard to know i mean I, I think this is going to be a really interesting series both teams play a very similar style really it's, it's about structure uh you're going to hear a lot of talk about structure with the lightning and the rangers um and how they play and uh you know i think the obviously i, I also think this is a matchup of two of the more interesting and better coaches in the game. Obviously, John Cooper's been at it a while, but uh, Gerard Gallant, a former Lightning player back in the day, uh, was, uh, you know, is, is to me one of the best young coaches in the game, and uh, I, I think he's proven his worth uh, time and again. It, it amazes me that he continues to move on from team to team now, three three different uh, teams here in the last couple of years. Uh, when you got a, a coach of this uh, caliber, I, I think you got to hold on to him, but... Um, I think the Rangers have obviously benefited from uh, Gerard Gallant's presence there behind the bench. And uh, they're a young team with an awful lot of firepower. And, you know, again, uh, they've got their own, you know, they got their own uh, 
uh, Hart Trophy uh, candidates and uh, MVP candidates and uh, uh, Norris Trophy candidates. Adam Fox, uh, as good as there is. Chris Kreider is a guy that, you know, obviously can, can score at will. Uh, they are a team that's very interesting and tough to watch, and uh, so we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a great series. And, and you know, already uh, the series over in the West, not to forget about that, is a great series. Last night was, uh, for, for a casual hockey fan, it was probably just a thrilling game. It was a thrilling game for uh, seasoned hockey fans as well, but for hockey players and coaches, boy, you're just thinking, we've got to tighten up a little bit here on both sides of the ice uh, in that Western Conference series. But uh, this one will, this one tonight, I'll be shocked if uh, – I won't be surprised if you see these teams score uh, 14 goals, period, throughout the series uh, combined. Uh, uh, these could be – there could be a lot of 2-1, 3-1, 3-2 games between uh, the Rangers and the Lightning. So we'll see how it goes, guys. Well, I also think you have to talk between the plays. Everybody uh, pretty much concedes that Vasilevsky is the number one goaltender right now in the National Hockey League. It has been the last couple of years. They're defending champions of the Cup. However, the uh, the Rangers have gotten a little bit of a surprise. Uh, they've also got an outstanding goaltender. So uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, looking at two goaltenders and which one comes out on top. Yeah, Shesterkin is uh, obviously you is uh, one of the you know better young ones in the game, and uh, he obviously figured something out to beat Carolina. I mean, when you go to hold guys like uh, Sebastian Ajo and uh, Andrei Svechnikov off the uh, score sheet, you're doing something, and um, obviously uh, that's exactly what uh, Igor Shosturkin did for the Rangers, and uh, he, he's that good. He Look, they, they've had a lot of belief in him, and uh, it's a multi-talented uh, Rangers team. I mean, again, they're, they're scoring, there's defense, there's solid coaching, as I said, solid structure, good goaltending. This is a really, really good matchup here. Uh, two teams really evenly matched, and right now I, I – you know, I'd, I'd say that on paper, it looks like the Rangers might have a little bit of an edge, not in experience, obviously. Um, and that's that's probably where this thing takes a turn. But uh, they have a bit of an edge because everybody's healthy with them for them right now. Uh, their, their top scorers, uh, Mika Zibanejad, uh, Chris Kreider, going down the, the group, uh, Philip Heidel, uh, they're, they're all healthy. Defensemen are all healthy. Fox, Truba, you know, they're all looking good. So, uh, and Shesterkin's there. So uh, right now I think the Rangers have a bit of an edge uh, coming off, you know, way, riding that wave of momentum off of beating Carolina. I think they have a bit of an edge here. And the fact that they're uh, starting off at home I think gives them an edge as well. Uh, but Tampa can turn that around in a hurry. So we'll see how it goes. Again, Tampa's still without Braden Point, one of their best players. But uh, this is going to be a – this could be a real classic series. Uh, th- this one could easily go six or seven. And they could all be uh, real knockdown dragouts, guys. Roger, you're up. Well, Roy, I can uh, congratulate you because I never thought the Rangers were going to be in the finals, as you know. And so I eat crow, I'm eating it, okay? Because I thought Pittsburgh was going to take them and that was going to be it. But I was wrong, so... Uh, I think this will be a tremendous uh, series, and I, I do look for it to go seven games because I think – but I do think the experience of Tampa Bay is going to uh, surface, uh, and, I, and that's something that you really cannot, uh, you know, predict because they, they've been in several times, you know, in the last couple, obviously, but 
I just think that they they have the team, and I think the experience is going to be the deciding factor. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. I, I think that will be an edge. In fact, I think that ends up being the edge almost every time the Lightning play. Look, you know, you think back. You can think back two years ago when the Lightning played uh, the Islanders. They, they were looking pretty good a year ago. The Lightning looked pretty good. You know, the, the Islanders looked pretty good. Earlier this year, Toronto looked really good. Then they took, you know, Florida looked really good. Then all of a sudden they took on the Lightning. And, it was, gee, surprise, all of a sudden they didn't look so good. I mean, they looked good at times, but they weren't good enough to beat them. And I, I think I won't be surprised at all if the same thing happens here. And uh, and the Rangers suddenly, you know, maybe have a good game or two, but then at the end of the day uh, look almost in a way like they didn't belong, like uh, they topped out uh, in beating Carolina and get to the – conference finals that that was about as good as they can do and then uh, you got to go back to the drawing board and say okay well how do we get to how do we get you know one more two more uh rounds here uh against these guys because uh that's what tampa does and and again i think it's experience behind the bench it's experience obviously on the ice it's the way they're built um and that's one of the things that's going to be interesting about this series is if you're a real hockey you know uh aficionado a real hockey uh, expert, you're going to enjoy this series because one of the things that's going to really be interesting is how each team kind of matches up, more so the Rangers. How do the Rangers match up against that third line for the Lightning? How do they try to attack that third line? We've seen that kind of, that line kind of reimagined here in Tampa uh, over the last uh, over the course of this season now um, with uh, with some of the new guys that they've brought in. <laughs> And one of the guys who was on that vaunted third line that made the, the Lightning so tough to beat a year ago, Blake Goodrow, or Barkley Goodrow, rather, is now a member of the uh, of the Rangers. So, you know, he's going to have an idea of exactly how Tampa goes about this. It's a little bit like, you know, in football, you always hear about, you know, players who have a good idea, you know, a receiver or defensive back or somebody who goes from one team to the next can give you a little bit of a scouting report. Well, how do, how do they attack this kind of situation? Well, Barkley Goodrow's going to know that. He's going to know it as well as anybody. And, uh, you know, how the Rangers decide to attack Nick Paul and uh, Ross Colton and uh, Corey Perry and, uh, and uh, Hagelin uh, is going to be interesting to see how they do that. So, uh, Hagel, rather. And uh, so I'm anxious to see how that works out as well. There's just a lot of uh, – Side, you know, storylines here and sidebars to uh, to follow. It's not just the goaltending. It's not just the goal scorers, the stars, and there's plenty of them, obviously. It's not just the two defensemen, Hedman and Fox, uh, you know, matching up. It, although those matchups are, are really, really intriguing. Um, but it's the matchups of, uh, of the third and fourth lines as well. So, again, this, this series just brings, for me, uh, if you're a hockey fan, it, this has got a little bit of everything. Uh, in it, uh, something for everybody. If you're a, even if you're a casual fan or a, a diehard fan, you've seen six billion, six thousand games. Uh, this is this is going to give you something to to enjoy. Well, two points to follow up on you is that uh, uh, first of all, Brent Point uh, has always been a big loss. Anytime he goes out of the lineup with an injury, uh, it's a big uh, it's a big loss for the Lightning because uh, he uh, finds way in big games to score from. Almost any angle, and that's a, a big loss. And uh, when you go back to the exchange of, of players being signed, when the Lightning gave up the contract and he signed with the New York Rangers, uh, they pointed out really very clearly in game number three, if, uh, game number seven, I mean, 
Uh, it's not necessarily goals that he scores. It's his positioning and anticipation on the ice. Those two block shots that he took uh, in the second period, uh, and he wasn't any further than I'm going to say. Yeah, maybe you may be correct. I, I'm going to say ten feet from the shooter, and I mean he took two shots right at him. And I mean that's the kind of player he is, and, and he's really made and solidified defense. Now that he's back in the lineup because he's been out too because of injury, but now it looks like he's ready to go full playoff. So I think those two players are going to be big factors in this series. Yeah, and that's another uh, aspect is uh, I, I, I believe both of these teams understand fully, even though the Rangers don't have the experience, uh, I think both of these teams understand fully the, the, the physical sacrifice you have to make uh, every shift on the ice. You're going to see – you know, I, I won't. I won't be surprised to see 40 block shots per team per game. Um, these teams know that you have got to. You've got to give yourself up here. You've got to help your goaltender out. The best way to help your goaltender out is to get out there and, as you said, get five, ten feet away from that shooter and sacrifice yourself. And you be the guy blocking the shots. So, um, I think you're going to see a lot of that, and it's one of the reasons I, I just think this is going to be one of the really more intriguing series uh, that we've seen in the Stanley Cup Finals in a while, uh, this, this one really, really uh, could could stand out from uh, from all the others. Roger? You know, not to get away from hockey, but, um, you know, it's, it's what's sad, we talked about it uh, last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, about the loss of uh, players, and I just saw, uh, just reading it now, Don, in the uh, post about Marion Barber was found dead at 38, the, the running back for the Cowboys. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's amazing uh, how many uh, athletes, young people, Roy, and you're in the, now in the publishing and, and editing business uh, of the medical journal, but how many young athletes have passed away in recent weeks? And you also had another yeah, crash so. this week with uh, uh, both a man and a woman being killed, former uh, so it's it's uh, it's been a tough week for athletes in their cars. Sure has. Yeah, it's been a tough right. week for a lot of people uh, dying before they're, uh, you know, dying way too soon. It's it's just been an awful week in a lot of ways for a, a lot of things like that. So uh, yeah, heart goes out to the Barber family. I don't know the details behind it, um, but it's it's sad no matter what. It's just another sad story that. Uh, Unfortunately, we're just inundated with them right now, it seems. Every day. Roy, before we, uh, you know. before we jump off the topic 100%, let's switch over to football for just a moment because uh, the the, uh, the Buccaneers uh, picked up a, a, a player from the Bears. Uh, first of all, where did they get the $10 million? I, I didn't know they were that. I thought they were a lot closer to the cap. I know they, they uh, did not sign Sue. Obviously, they decided to let him go, uh, but they decided, decided to sign a uh, a free agent from the Bears for ten million bucks. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. I didn't, I didn't think they had that much cap space. Well, they have been quietly, uh, and I say quietly because you know they don't. They just really haven't, you know, drawn a whole lot of attention, uh, except for a couple of the guys, uh, Mike Evans and uh, and Tom Brady, obviously. Um, you know, they they've quietly been uh, restructuring a lot of contracts. And right. uh, there's, we'll probably find out here in the next month or two or three uh, before training camp starts that um, 
you know, two or three or four other players have restructured their contracts in order to give the team some leverage. And uh, it's one of the things that Jason Light and his crew uh, have, have done a really good job of over the years, making sure that they stay within the cap uh, and, and have deals that are can be restructured in a way that uh, allows them to make some moves and, and stay competitive. And it obviously has worked out uh, over the last couple of years, that's, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, here's another one. Yeah, I was a little surprised they had $10 million to throw at what, in essence, is a is a, is a backup or is a backup uh, defensive, you know, tackle uh, right. or end defensive lineman and, and at best a specialist. Um, so you know, but again, look, you don't have Jason Pierre-Paul, you don't have Indomitian Sue. This Akeem Hicks replaces those guys. Is he healthy? My guess is that if you put ten million dollars towards the man, you believe he's healthy. You have probably you've certainly done your due diligence. Uh, you have, you know, you, you have strong belief that uh, he, he's solid and ready to go and that uh, he is well past this, uh, this particular issue that uh, kept him out primarily over the last couple of weeks. He's missed, what, 20 games over the last two and a half years now. So uh, you've got to think, uh, you got to feel pretty confident that he's probably ready to go physically and uh, to pay him that kind of money. Um, and, and again, but, you know, I'm not surprised by the move overall because uh, aside from money, simply because this is what the Bucks do. I mean, they're not afraid to go out and take a guy like this. This is very similar to Jason to signing Jason Pierre-Paul, who a lot, a lot of teams had said, you know what, we'll pass. We're not sure if he's ever going to be the player he was. And you know what, he proved again to be the player he was. Uh, a lot of people passed on Dominican Sue when it looked like, you know, he, he, there were some questions about his, his character, his integrity, his, uh, his you know, his, his willingness to play at a, at a high level and, uh, make the sacrifices uh, through practice and things like that coming off his last uh, season with the Rams. Okay. And, you know, the Bucks checked on it and said, yeah. no, no, we, th- we think he's good to go. And uh, so I think the, I think this is a really sh- a shrewd move by Jason Light and his team and uh, good for them because you're going to need that uh, disruptor. It's, they've, they're losing two of them and he's more of a disruptor. Uh, it's probably an indication. Look, we know William Golston's not going to be a disruptor that often. It might be a little bit of indication that uh, Joe Tryon Chowinka is not going to be a, a regular uh, disruptor in that uh, defensive line, um, and the and the new kid uh, that they drafted in the first round probably going to need some time to develop uh, some some moves himself. So, a uh, smart move on the Bucks' part, in my opinion. I think this makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, yes, it's a gamble, but you know what? Uh, signing everybody's a gamble in the NFL. Roger. Yeah, hey, Roy, uh, before you go, we have Ken Dunnick. that was a tight end on the Eagles' 1980 championship team uh, and went to the Super Bowl, the NFC champion. Uh, but I wanted to ask you real quick, The you, I, as I recall, you said that you th- if Brady plays next year, you think he'll be playing in Miami. Is that only because it would be back in the AFC to go after Belichick, in your opinion? Uh, no. It, 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 no, no, in fact, that's probably – at least third, if not uh, 23rd on the list of things. And, my, and I won't say 23rd. Probably third, fourth, or fifth on the list of reasons why Brady wants to go to Miami. Brady wants to play for Sean Payton, and he wants to play for the Miami owner. Uh, he's got very good relationships with both of those men. And uh, I think, the, in fact, I, I think, in fact, I know now through people in the NFL that had it somehow been able to have been worked out, uh, Brady probably would have gone to the Saints 
had Breeze decided to retire a year earlier, mm. Brady would have gone to the Saints and played for Peyton instead of coming to Tampa Bay. So wow. uh, this is something he's wanted to do, and uh, I think he's going to do it. I think they're going to find a way. It, it may not be Miami. It may end up being Dallas or somewhere else because, again, this, this whole situation with Brian Flores in Miami is kind of – screwed things up a little bit. It certainly killed this deal for this year uh, with Brady. But uh, a year from now, when the heat's off a little bit, you might see it happen. Uh, but I think uh, one way or another, you're going to see Tom Brady playing for Sean Payton somewhere. So it's either going to be Brady playing for Payton somewhere or Brady playing in Miami for that owner uh, or a combination of the two, which would obviously you know, have Payton in, uh, in Miami. So we'll see. But uh, that's, that's, that's Brady's real wish right now. Roy, before you tell. go, give me a give me a number on the give me a number on the Rangers and Lightning. What what do you think? Uh, I'm going to say Lightning in six. Um, again, I think the I think the the experience uh, gives them a big edge. Once uh, they'll win a game here in my, in New York, is my guess. They'll come back. They'll uh, they'll win a couple here in Tampa and put the pressure on a, what will end up at that point being a, a very tired um, uh, Rangers team. Uh, who will be just a little bit, uh, just I won't say outmatched, but a little bit outclassed by Tampa and just their, just their ability and the, and the experience they have of uh, what needs to be done in order to win at this level at this time of the year. I think six is right because uh, I don't think they want to go back to Madison Square Garden for a game seven. Uh, you know, I think they want, uh, they want to win it on their home ice. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it goes uh, as we anticipate back and forth, back and forth, uh, the Rangers have been devastating in game sevens. I mean, three series, every one of them they've won in seven. Some on the road and some at home. And uh, game seven has been a, a lucky number for them this year. Yeah, it sure Only has. Time I, think, I think you're right. Tampa doesn't want any part Only of a game seven with, uh, with, with, with the Rangers. Well, Roy, have a great week. Uh, as usual, appreciate it. It was wonderful. And uh, we'll, this time next week we'll at least have some – Stanley Cup games in the rearview mirror, and it'll be interesting to talk about that. Sure will be, so. guys. Well, thanks for having me as always. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, pleasure's always mine. Thank Take you. care, partner. Thanks, Coming Greg. up, Don, we got Ken Dunnick, uh, who we know for 1980 on the Philadelphia Eagles, but he, this man has a varied career, uh, starting uh, in high school and then uh, Memphis State. Now, as a journalism uh, student, he self-published a book of real-life stories this past spring. But, Ken, in addition to your football uh, experience and, and history, you are a publisher, two magazines. Talk about that. Then we're going to talk about your NFL, your USFL career, and, of course, with Dick Vermeil. How are you tonight? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, I, I uh, kind of morphed into publishing after uh, Memphis State. I had a broadcast journalism uh, degree and dabbled in uh, broadcasting a bit, did college football for many years for ESPN and Fox and some other networks and uh, decided to put my journalism degree to use. So about 10 years ago, we created Philly Man and Jersey Man magazine. We've since branched out to Boston and Miami and my uh, my second career is going pretty well here, so thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. Well, you've had some very well, big decisions to make uh, going right back to Memphis because 
basketball was a big part of your life too, as well as football. And then in your last year, you decided, hey, maybe I better be a tight end full time here and get to the National Football League. And that's exactly what happened. Well, listen, I was a six-six center. I knew I didn't have much of a future in the NBA, so uh, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I did. I didn't play high school football at all, and uh, I played some Pop Warner. And uh, in between my junior and senior year at Memphis State, I was throwing a football with a friend outside the athletic dorm, and the tight ends coach happened to be outside and started talking to me and convinced me to go over to the football office and talk a little bit, and then. I had never run a 40-yard dash in my life, and uh, he got me a pair got me a pair of shoes, and I ran a 4.640. I was 6'6", 235, and ran a 4.640, and his eyes almost popped out of his head. He said, you know, listen, you, if you're going to play pro sports, it's going to be football. So I decided to take a gamble. I had enough uh, confidence in myself that I thought I could do it, and uh, went out to the team, and Richard Williamson was the head coach of Memphis State at that time. He was a he was a tough guy. He was an Alabama grad. He played for Bear Bryant, and uh, he was he was pretty rough on me, but he, he turned me into a pretty good football player. And then I had three free agent offers coming out of Memphis State to play in the NFL, the Eagles, the Saints, and the Rams. And this is the honest to God truth. I chose this the Eagles because I thought it would look best to be cut by the best team. I thought if the Eagles cut me, the Saints and the Rams <laughs> might take a shot at me if the Eagle if the Saints cut me it was going to be all over before it got started. So <laughs> I went out for the Eagles, uh, uh, able to survive Dick Vermeil's training camp, and I actually started a couple <laughs> preseason games in 1980, and played well enough for them to keep me on the team. And that team, of course, went to the Super Bowl, lost to Oakland in the Super Bowl 15. So I was very fortunate. Uh, I got released the next year. I played briefly for the Giants and. Colts and then signed with the Philadelphia Stars for three years and had a great three-year run with uh, the two-time USFL champion. So I got a lot out of my uh, football career with very little training. Roger, you got several rings, Ken. That's one thing, right? Three rings. Listen, I, I, listen, I might hold the record. I played four years of professional football. I made it to the championship game all four years. So I don't know if I was that good, but I was pretty lucky. So I tried to market <laughs> myself as a good luck charm, basically. But uh, it, it was a good run. And, you know, we talk about the stars. We're going to have our reunion coming up here on June 11th and seeing guys that I haven't seen uh, for several years. And, uh the Stars were a very good football team. They would have been competitive in the NFL. People forget that in the USFL back in that day, we were playing against guys like Reggie White and Herschel Walker and Steve Young and Jim Kelly. And the USFL was a top-flight league, and we were able right. to pretty much dominate that league for uh, three years. And uh, I'm very proud of my association with that football team. Well, you had well, two Paul, great coaches they worked and... with, Laura One and also Dick yeah, Vermeil. Yeah. So you also picked two of the best uh, when you uh, when you made your move, whichever league it was. You had two of the best coaches you're ever going to find. Well, you know, Carl Peterson was the guy who was the player personnel director of the Eagles, and then became president of the Stars. And a lot of people right. know that Jim Mora was on Vermeil's staff at UCLA. So Carl knew uh, Jim Mora personally, and he convinced Mora to uh, step away from being the defensive coordinator at the Patriots at that time to take the stars job. And it was a match made in heaven. Really. Uh, Jim did a great job with our team. And of course our success is pretty much documented. 
Roger, just a quick yeah. sidebar on that before we go to the next question with you, and that is that, uh, I had a, an almost great association with that because Carl Peterson was great with the Eagles. We had a lot of uh, great opportunities with him when I worked at WCAU in Philly, and they signed me to do the to do the games. But in those days, uh, CAU jumped in and said, oh, no, you can't work for another station uh, do, doing these football games. Uh, later on, I did get a chance to do uh, work for a couple of stations when I was doing Temple, but uh, I could not do it with with the stars. And uh, but uh, Moore and I got to be very good, uh, very good friends. Worked very closely with them. And I'll tell you, you're right. They had a they had an outstanding group of people on that team. Roger, you're up. Well, I was going to say, Don, uh, just think if you had been able to do the stars, you'd also have a championship ring or two. Okay. So, <laughs> but uh, well, you know, well, listen, Harry, Harry Donahue stepped Harry Donahue stepped into that broadcast role as the Stars play-by-play guy, and then Vince Papali, of course, was the uh, analyst for those games on radio. Right. And uh, and and you know, Stars were two guys, an, two guys that walked experience. out of nowhere to become pro football players. Right. Uh, <laughs> and how about you know, Jay, how about Jay Wright, the Villanova basketball coach? got his start in sports in the marketing department of the Philadelphia Stars. Not a lot of people remember that. Oh, I didn't know that. Jay, yeah, oh, wow. Jay, Jay worked in our, our marketing and ticket department, and he used to come in the locker room all the time. And because he knew I played basketball at Memphis State, he'd pull up a chair. We would just talk basketball for, for hours and hours. And I always tease him now. I, when I see him, I say, listen, Jay, if I knew you were that successful, I would have been a lot nicer to you back then. <laughs> 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 well, he, he's looking for a job right now. He's sort of semi-retired, but I know he'll probably uh, work with you on some of your books and magazines. Oh, I, I, I hope so. Jay's a great, and actually, Jay's going to come to the Stars reunion on June 11th, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Great. Oh, that'll be terrific. Well, you know, uh, we got to uh, sit at the same table at the uh, sports writers' banquet. Unfortunately, uh, you had to uh, step away before Larry Litwin acknowledged you, and uh, we're looking around. I, I knew that, you know, you had to leave. But the um, I just wanted to just talk about that night uh, Dick Vermeil was honored, and uh, I've been fortunate. Don uh, has known him uh, a lot longer than I have, obviously, going back to uh, the late 70s and into the 80s. Uh, I've been uh, with him, he and his wife, uh, several times, but in a different situation of driving a limousine and picking them up at the airport and picking them up at their uh, ranch. So, but talk about what it was like back then in 1980, uh, a, a team that maybe some said was a surprise team to win the NFC championship. And then unfortunately lost to Oakland, uh, but, and people feel you had the better team, but talk about what that season was like and what it was like, uh, uh, you know, playing for coach Vermeil. Well, it was a magical experience for me. The reason I made the team was the two tight ends in front of me that year, Keith Crepley and John Spagnola, were actually hurt in uh, preseason. So I got an opportunity to play. And I can recall, uh, you know, the, the Dick Vermeil training camps were just in, incredibly difficult. I lost 24 pounds my rookie year. Wow in training camp. I was running both ways and doing everything I could to make the team. But I remember one day at practice, I was, uh, I was sick. I had 101 fever 
and I was uh, excused from practice. And Otho Davis, the trainer, told me to stay in the training room. And the training room was the only cool place in the entire Westchester campus because none of it had air conditioning. So I'm laying on a training table, and practice is about to start. And I just said to myself, you know, I, I can't do this. So I got up and put my uniform on and uh, started walking out to the field. And I met Coach Vermeil at the at the stairway to the field. And he said, what are you doing? Are you, you're excused from practice. I said, Coach, if you got to die, this is as good a place as any. And I ran out <laughs> into the field. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I knew I said the right thing. And I really think that was influential in his decision to, to keep me on that team that year. And uh, I started out the season on injured reserve. I got uh, activated midway through the year. I got hurt a game before the playoffs and then wasn't able to play in the playoffs or the Super Bowl, but I was there uh, practicing and, and helping the team in any way I could. And it was just a magical experience for a kid from Chicago, Illinois, who did not play high school football to find himself, you know, in the middle of the, the Eagles championship run was, I just felt incredibly fortunate. And uh, my relationship with Vermeil has lasted now for, 42 years. I support him in his wine business. He's probably, other than my father, the greatest male influence I've had in my life as far as teaching me work ethic and doing things the right way. And I'm, I'm really blessed to know the man. And we are all looking forward to going down to Canton in early August and seeing him inducted into the Hall of Fame. And all the ex-Eagles are going to be there. And, you know, another teammate of mine, Sam Mills from the Stars, is going to be inducted that same weekend, too. So it's going to be a celebration of, of people that I really know and care about. Ken Dunnick is our special guest this half hour. We're chatting, obviously, about football. We're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. We're talking about college football. And one little sidebar story on that one, too. Uh, Matt Gukas and I are doing 11, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Los Angeles Lakers in L.A., and uh, we jump on the plane to fly back to Philadelphia. And uh, so uh, I get off the plane. But, yeah, we're talking to everybody that was immediately around us and uh, so forth and so on, and, uh, just chatting back and forth about sports and this and that. And I get off the plane. They call me from the station. you got to get right over to, to the vet because the uh, Eagles are going to name their new coach. I said, wait, well, I just got to get off the plane from L.A. I said, well, that's all right. Go, get, go over to the vet. I go over to that. The guy sitting next to Matt Gukas and I all the way here was Dick Vermeil. We didn't know who the hell he was. Is that right? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's a funny story. We're, we're, we're talking and, and, and kidding around and all everything else. And we get over there and, and uh, son of a gun of it is Dick Vermeil that's introduced as the new head football coach of the Eagles. But, and, and, you know, I knew he was out of that way, but I, I didn't, I didn't uh, recognize him or I had no idea who it was when we were talking to him. I'll tell you, Coach well, good Binet thing. would never good be flying, is, flying uh, commercial. Hopefully Leonard Toastbot in a first-class seat. <laughs> Don, you only fly, fly first-class, so you were probably uh, – Ken's right. You were right up there with him. Well, i got to say, you know, the one thing about the 76ers, uh, you know, doing a Pat Williams here and so forth, why, uh, you know, you, you, it was in the contract that uh, – you know, all the players had to fly first class. It, it, you could not uh, put them in coach unless it was a, you know, you know, a physical emergency or something where they had to be someplace for, you know, an appearance or a game or something. And uh, but you had to fly first class. That was in the contract. 
Well, you know, getting back to uh, the coach, the I mean, today, I mean, you the, a coach in that situation uh, would be on a private plane. I mean, let's face it. And look oh, at the yeah. way the NFL, can you've seen it evolve. And also, you know, you were doing games for Fox, ESPN, et cetera. But you have seen it really evolve from a very close uh, perspective. And uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what you've seen uh, from the media side. Well, I mean, number one, the game has changed. It's a, a lot safer. You know, back in my day, you didn't come off the field and say you got hit in the head or had a headache because you were in danger of losing your job. So there were several times that I came off the field that I may have been concussed, and I was afraid to say anything to the to the coaches and the trainers because I didn't want to lose my job. None of the money was guaranteed. And I do think the game is better uh, today than it ever has been as far as safety for the players is concerned. Uh, the game is much bigger and faster today than it used to be uh, on occasion when I get to be on the sideline for an NFL game. I'm just amazed at the size and the speed and the collisions that go on down there. Uh, and, and these players just pop right back up. You know, it's a 12-month-a-year it's a job. It's all about conditioning when the season's over. These guys are in the weight room and they're, you know, trying to protect their investment. And the money is so much different. My, my rookie year in 1980, uh, the minimum salary of the NFL was $25,000. Now, hmm. I, I, was a, I was a free agent, but I had a little bit of leverage because I had three teams bidding for me. So my first salary was a $4,000 signing bonus, $35,000 base salary, $6,000 for making the team. And I, I, I believe I got about a, a ten or twelve thousand dollar Super Bowl bonus, and that was a lot of money back then. Uh, oh yeah, so, it sure uh, was. Yeah, so so I was fortunate uh, to be in that position, and you know when I see the amount of money that these guys are making today, it's mm. almost like there's you know there's really no team loyalty anymore, and that goes both ways. The players mm-hmm. have to use the leverage that they can in order to maximize their earning potential. And the teams, you know, they're going to cut you if they get a better deal with a, with a different player. I mean, that's just the reality of the financial state of pro football today. So it, it's a different world, but I still love the game. I still watch the Eagles every week and watch, you know, a lot of pro football and college football and, it's taught me so many good lessons and done so much good for me. I'm not jealous at all of the money these guys are making. They deserve it. I had a, I had a great run and some great memories and experience. And as you said, I got a lot of jewelry out of the deal, so that was pretty good too. <laughs> Ken, the other player that went into the Hall of Fame and uh, is Carmichael. And uh, everybody you talked to that was a part of the Eagles, that we have a number of the former players on with us every now and then. And uh, he must have been a major influence in the clubhouse. Absolutely. Harold is one of the nicest men you will ever meet. As a matter of fact, you know, when you're, when you're a rookie free agent in pro football, some of the players really don't take that kindly to you because you're, uh, you know, you may be taking one of their friends' you're jobs. You're taking their or, job. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. or, or the, you know, they're, they, they're a little bit aloof and trying to make you, you know, earn your keep, which is fine. But, you know, guys like Harold and Wilbur Montgomery and, and Ron Jaworski and a lot of the main players I can remember were so kind to me. And I just I'll, – I'll never forget that. And, of course, 
I stay active with the Eagle alumni now. We get together with Coach Vermeil several times a year, and it's just it's just a great bond. It's a great brotherhood. And even though, you know, I was a lesser player on that team, they, they've always treated me like uh, like one of their guys, and and I, I'll always appreciate that. Roger. Yeah, I think uh, one of your teammates, uh, Stan Walters, you know, went into broadcasting, and uh, I believe he lives uh, in Atlanta. He moved around the world with his wife, as I recall, with uh, Kimberly Clark, and he told me, I guess it was at the uh, reunion, the 25-year uh, reunion uh, that we had with the sports writers, uh, that um, the uh, he had decided to uh, give up the broadcasting and everything to support her. You ever talk to Stan at all? Yeah, you know I do. I saw Stan a couple of years ago at Coach Vermeil's golf tournament. I got a real funny story about Stan Walters. So, the first preseason game was in Buffalo, and I can remember uh, standing on the field and Lynn Stiles, the tight ends coach, called told me that John Spagnola, the backup tight end, was sick. He wasn't going to play. But I was, you know, I was expected to play maybe the tail end of the second half or something. And uh, so I was fine with it. I was watching the game, and the first series of downs, Keith Crefley separated his shoulder. So now I'm in the huddle with Ron Jaworski, you know, Wilbur Montgomery, Harold, all these great guys. And Vermeil calls a timeout, and normally you would bring the quarterback over. He brought me over to the sideline. He said, listen, I know you're intimidated. Anybody in your position would be. If you do me a favor – and just come off the ball and hit these guys with, with all you've got. I won't say a word to you about making a mistake. So the linebackers for Buffalo that day were Phil Villapiano and Isaiah Robertson, two guys that I've been watching play for, for forever, right? And, right. Uh, and so, I, so I get to the line of scrimmage, and I'm next to Stan Walters, and Stan Walters starts barking out these signals that I've never heard before. And I get back in the huddle. I said, Stan, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, those were dummy signals. I said, Stan, I don't even know the real signals yet. You're, you're giving me dummy signals. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, so, uh, but the bottom, the bottom line in that game was I came off the ball with everything I had, and I buried Villapiano and Isaiah Robertson on several plays. And the next day at practice, Jerry Wampler, who had not said a word to me, he was the offensive line coach, he had not said a word to me all camp. He came up to me in, in stretch and said, uh, I think I might have to learn your name. So I knew I did something well. And then Jimmy, Jimmy Gallagher, the PR guy who had been there for years, comes over yeah. and he goes, we're going to have a press conference for you after practice. So I knew I had made some kind of a mark, and, uh, and that was the birth of my, uh, my Eagles career. That, well, I'm glad you brought story. Jimmy Gallagher's name up because I'll tell you, one of the finest PR men uh, to ever uh, to ever work in the National Football League, and uh, he had a good word for everybody. Uh, uh, you could, he could, anything you could ask him that you needed to have done, he did for you. Just a terrific, terrific guy. Part of that great leadership on the on the Philadelphia Eagle executive staff as well as the players. Well, no he question. Was everybody was the- too. Yeah, everybody with the Eagles loved Jimmy Gallagher, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, and uh, when I was in high school, uh, my buddy, uh, his name was Jim Hensel, we used to go into uh, the old office at 15th and Locust. And, of course, Jim was working there as an assistant to Eddie Hogan. And uh, one time at the uh, game at, a vet, at the vet, one of the games at the vet, I talked to Jim and I asked him, I said, uh, 
does Ed Hogan ever come uh, to the uh, games? And he said, yeah, he's right over there. This was in the press box. So I go over, put out my hand to shake hands with Ed, and he says, where's your buddy? (laughs) Because he knew the two of us would come into the office and give us the media guides and everything else, you know. And I just thought it was so nice. I mean, that they remembered that when I came in, I came in with a friend of mine, you know. And right. uh, but they they were Jim Jim. I'll tell you, he was one of the greatest people I ever have met in sports. Jim was, and I mean, gave uh, me so much help in uh, coordinating everybody on that 25th anniversary uh, night that we had at the sports writers. That I can't thank him enough. And uh, our Rest in peace, Jim. You know, just a terrific man. I went to his funeral, as a matter of fact. So you may yeah, have been there yeah, too, Ken. J- Jimmy, Jimmy was a great guy, and he was Eagles uh, tried and true. Uh, loved, loved the football team. You know, people forget that you know so many great people and players surrounded the Eagles. Like a guy, Jim Katkavich was a great Giants mm-hmm. player. He was a scout for the Eagles back then. And, you know, Chuck Bednarik uh, had a role with the Eagles as kind of a volunteer assistant coach. And, you know, just being around people like that and the history of the game and the history of the franchise was just, you know, such a treat for me. And uh, I've appreciated it in my entire life, really. Well, also, the fact that all you have to do is look around. And and you talked about Carl Peterson, who uh, really came in there with Dick Vermeil. But also, when he went to the Stars, he established that. Then he went out to back to the National Football League in uh, Kansas City. I mean, uh, he had a great career himself. He really did. He was a great judge of talent. You know, when Carl took the Stars job, he brought guys, old Eagles like myself, John Bunning, Scott Fitzke, uh, Rodney Parker, who was on that 80 NFC Championship team. Um, And then he saw the new talent like uh, Bart Oates and, Sam Mills and Irv Eatman and Sean Landetta and all these great players. And he, you know, he just had a great eye for talent. And he put that stars team together with a great mix of veterans and rookies. And really that was the reason why the stars were so successful because Carl was a great judge of talent. back then. When you see the USFL now, uh, you know, with this, uh, the way they have it structured, a totally different, more of a, uh, uh, I guess an instructional uh, developmental league, isn't it? Uh, but it, they have the same think, logo and everything. No, I think so. I think it's a made-for-TV league. Uh, personally, it certainly, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to disparage those young men who are trying to make their mark in pro football. But you know, back then in my day, the USFL really rivaled the NFL mm-hmm. as far as talent was concerned, and. Uh, it's not the same structure in this USFL, but, you know, it's fun to watch, you know, the team that has your name that you played for and, you know, all, all the same colors and everything. I, and listen, if, if you can make a living playing pro football, whether it's NFL, USFL, Canadian Football League, it's a special experience. And I'm happy for those guys, and, and, I, and I hope they can all achieve their goals, really. Well, for a long period of time, uh, you know, you went to the Canadian League and played up there and t- tried to make your mark up there and then moved down to the National Football League. And, of course, a lot of uh, a lot of players were very successful from Ty's been right on down. 
Sure, Warren Moon was a great Canadian football league exactly. player. That exactly. That's right. Had a tremendous yeah. NFL career. Yeah. yeah. You know, Ken, you live over in Mount Laurel. It's amazing how many former uh, Philadelphia uh, professional players uh, reside in Mount Laurel. And I know, uh, talking about earlier, I mentioned Vince Papali. I know his wife is very successful uh, in real estate over there. And I saw one of your followers on LinkedIn is Robert Harriet. And I've known Bob, uh, young Bob, and of course that's young now, but I knew his father uh, back in 1980. Uh, they were a customer. So uh, I don't know if you know him or not. I guess it's still Harriet's uh, Fuel in Medford. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bob Harriet. I know him well. As a matter of fact, I was just on the phone with Janet Papali before this uh, phone call. She's down in Florida, and she's establishing her real estate career down there. And uh, we we uh, launched Miami Man a few months ago, so we're down there in Miami. Uh, and she's oh, I think they live there full time there, now, so. don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're. I think they do, and they're. That's they're what I thought. People. Last time was, he was on with us on the show, he said that he uh, was ever full-time Floridians now. I, I always tease Vince. I said, "Listen, Vince, you played for the Philadelphia Bell before the Eagles." I said, "I fell off the turnip truck, so I got a better story than you did. You just beat me to the movie rights." And uh, well, we always tease each other about that, but they're 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 good people, good been good friends for a long time. Well, Ken, let me just say this. Thank you so much for spending a half hour with us. And Absolutely. Not only reminiscing about uh, the past Philadelphia Eagles, and best of luck with your career with so many different avenues. You've you got channels going out everywhere, and we hope you'll rejoin us again as the football season gets underway and give us a little bit of your evaluation of uh, uh, Roger. Of course, Roger and I go back a little bit. I'll be uh, I'll be 88 in 68 days, so... Uh, we we go back you. to the Ben Derrick era and the great uh, the great football between the Eagles and the Giants when they played at Palmer Stadium and all the rest of it. So uh, we've been a long time in this business. It's been a lot of fun, and yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Well, guys, it was a privilege to be Ken. on, and I wish all the all the luck in the world, and uh, look forward to doing it again. Hey, absolutely, Great. thanks, Ken. I can tell you, I'm not thank here, Conzi. Let's get that straight. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Ken. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Great talking to you. Take Thank care. you. Good luck to you. Take Bye-bye. care. Mike Zimzak's all set to go uh, down in that Baltimore, Washington area. A lot of things happening down there as well. And, Mike, we've talked about the National Hockey League and the, the playoff series between the Rangers and the, and the Lightning. and uh, That's underway. Uh, the Phillies right now leading 6-5. to five. Uh, Schuler just hit a, home, a two-run home run to give uh, the Phillies a six-to-five lead in this game. Uh, what's happening down in, in Washington D.C. and Baltimore? Not much. Um, so the Washington Nationals, by winning percentage, are the worst team in baseball, and. The Orioles, who have actually had a, a, a decent season by their standards, aren't doing much better. Uh, um, the Nats have are uh, eighteen and thirty-one, whereas the uh, the O's are twenty-one and twenty-nine. So, uh, you know, it's kind of as far as the baseball front goes. Uh, you know, the Caps, of course, got eliminated by the Florida Panthers in the first round. And so there's been an inquest into what can the Caps do next year to, you know, capitalize 
on the Let me interrupt for a second, Mike. Uh, the the, the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning has just scored to tie the game at 1-1, 12:41 to go in the first uh, in the first period. Uh, the Rangers got on the board first, one nothing, and uh, just a second ago, the Lightning tied it up 1-1. So that's where we stand with 12 minutes to go in the first period. Yeah. So uh, they, they, they've been looking uh, the Caps at what to do about um, you know how they can improve, go maybe go further into the playoffs. Um, lots of questions around there. The Wizards are still trying to figure it out, and of course the Washington Commanders remain doing Washington Commanders stuff for whatever that's worth. So they're in <laughs> OTAs this week and. Uh, the two most the most notable absence is Terry McLaurin, who's going to hold out probably until mandatory workouts as they sort out his contract. Uh, Deron Payne, who's another pending free agent after this season, showed up as his contract required, but then promptly walked out. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's the news on the field. As far as off the field, uh, they have. Submitted some information on the new potential new stadium. They apparently pay, um, have a hundred million dollar option to purchase about 200 acres of land in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is down kind of close to Quantico, so way out there. Yeah. And uh, that has been met with uh, anything in this area ranging from. Oh, well, to, well, that's the end of my fandom, and I guess Maryland's going to be a Ravens state now because they're talking about building it. It would make it the stadium that would be the third furthest from the city that the team is actually named from, only slightly closer to D.C. than um, Jerry World is to Dallas. Uh, So we're talking about about 23 miles. But anybody who's driven down that general direction knows that 23 miles when you're going from uh, down 95 south, that can probably take two hours on the best of days. You got so it. I hate to deal with yep. that on game day. From and they're going to make a tough time now exactly they're right. in their stadium getting people in there. They don't want to go through the traffic to get there. Right. Yeah, and the even more interesting thing was um, – all the estimates for the stadium size would make it the smallest stadium in the NFL. Um, the initial estimate said that they were going to build it at 60,000. And the latest one that came report that came out today said that they were only going to see 55. Um, Soldier Field is the smallest stadium currently, and that's 61, five. Uh, I don't understand. I know that they, like you said, Don, they have attendance issues, but if their plan is to, ho- to build a, a retractable roof dome stadium, as they said, uh, so that they can host major events and potentially attract the Super Bowl, I don't know if 55,000 gets it done. I just can't see the NFL saying, you know, we'll, we'll give you the, the Super Bowl even though we can only get 55,000 people in there. No. That, that, that'll never happen. The other thing is, Mike, you know, it doesn't appear – uh, that the uh, owners that want to get rid of Snyder, Dan Snyder, it doesn't look like they have enough to support getting rid of him. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think that that report was clearly meant to let people know that they're not happy with him. Of course, we've talked at length about this. 
as this investigation into the accounting goes, and, and more details emerge about that, that position may change, right? Um, mm-hmm. He can probably weather a storm on the workplace allegations and things like that. And, and you know, we can debate whether or not he should, but he, can, he probably can. You know, there's a lot of owners who are leery of getting rid of another owner because, you know, that old quote, but for the grace of God go with I. But I know that if they find that he's been withholding from them, that's going to create a lot of enemies. And even if he is able to maintain ownership of this team, he's definitely going to be persona non grata. And the team is going to suffer uh, because you can mm-hmm. just see them throwing, you know, doing whatever they can to kind of ostracize him. Again, you know, he wants a Super Bowl. As long as he's owner of the Redskins, no matter what stadium or uh, commanders, no matter what stadium he builds, I doubt they give it to him. Uh, the other uh, development this week was the uh, Virginia legislature. Uh, some of the uh, state legislators have come out and say, said that they're no longer in favor of the tax breaks for the commanders. And they're going to change their vote. So the vote to on the funding package that was supposed to be uh, yesterday was delayed because they just don't have the support, and they've been pretty upfront about it. They just don't believe that it's a good investment and that Virginia will make back the money during the life of the stadium that they intend to. If they're and like you also have stadium. to have if you're going to you know build a new stadium and you're going to put that much distance between Washington, D.C. and the stadium, you've got to have a pretty good team in order to get people to come out. I mean, if you have a mediocre team, you're not going to get people to go through a traffic situation of three or four hours to get out there. And right now, uh, Washington and the latest uh, uh, breakdown I saw of of all the teams, they're picked as the uh, 23rd best team in the national football. They've got to consider to have a good defense, very shaky offense, and, of course, a quarterback – that's had the last couple of years going from the Eagles going to, that has not had great success. Uh, so that's got to be a problem for them. Uh, but the division is not really, uh, you know, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are right now picked at 10. The Eagles are picked at 13. The Giants are picked at 28. No, Giants are picked at 30th. So uh, there's, there's a lot of room within the, in the division, but uh, not any of the teams are picked to be very good. And it's not just that they're not going – they may not be good this year. It's that they haven't really been good for the last quarter of a century. Right. So it's not mm-hmm. only that you're, you don't have a good team now. You've eroded your fan base because you've been so poor performance-wise and as an organization it's been so hard to support you over a quarter of a century. They've just completely eroded their fan base, and that was one of the major points that was brought up was the fact that, you know, you're dealing with a team that really, you're dealing with a team and you're now dealing with a new brand that has no history, has no leverage. People don't feel any sort of connection to it. So why would we say, okay, we're going to buy these tickets, we're going to pay this PSL, we're going to buy these season tickets, we're going to invest in this team, we're going to make the drive down there, we're going to wait in the traffic, we're going to do all this stuff to see – and an organization that's just not performing on or off the field. 
Right. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, over uh, on the Sunday, uh, watching the uh, uh, the Charlotte 600, uh, you know, the Coke uh, Charlotte 600, and I, and I saw Joe Gibbs uh, being interviewed afterwards and everything, and all I thought about was, boy, has that team, the Washington football team, deteriorated since the great days of Joe Gibbs, uh, you know, winning Super Bowls with, what, three different quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. then they brought him back. Dan Snyder brought him back to try to resurrect, if nothing else, to get the fandom back. Right, Mike? And he was successful uh, in that. It, mm-hmm. it injected a little bit of energy. You know, I, Joe won a, he won the division. He had a couple of winning seasons, a couple of playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was as good as they've been. But, again, you know, Joe got tired. Joe's not – you know, a young guy anymore, and he wanted to go back to being a NASCAR owner and enjoy his retirement. So that wasn't a long-term mm-hmm. solution. So that was only right. ever going to be. One of the toughest things is going to remain, how many people are going to remember that this is a commander's now? <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to have a tough time getting that name association for, I think it's going to take a few years. You every time you talk to people, you hear them referred to as the Redskins or the football team. Right. You know, people have to consciously think of calling them the Commanders. It's also, unfortunately, it's not a name that you can shorten to anything. It's not something that rem- runs off the tongue very easily. Even in just this short conversation that we've been having, I've slipped up and called them the Redskins at least twice. So it's going to be um, an adjustment period for that. And, you know, they're not, you know, it's a new brand, it's a new name, it's a new everything. And it's hard to get people energized about it. If there's ever a team that needs a decent performance this season just to, to, to kind of bail some of the water out, to keep from sinking any further, it would be the commanders. Mm-hmm. And with the same old ownership issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roger? And, and again, when you're dealing with stuff like contract issues, holdouts, um, you know, will they, won't they, what will they do with Terry McCorn? What's going on with um, Jerome Payne? These are not, in addition to all the stories behind there and the complaints and the things about the um, investigations, the stadiums. It's just the narrative surrounding that team is just not great right now. Is Carson Wentz uh, being well-received or received okay uh, by the uh, fans in uh, the nation's capital, Mike? The prevailing feeling about Carson Wentz is, one, we'll wait to see, and two, he can't be that much worse than what we've had the last couple of years since Kirk Cousins left. Well, they really haven't had a chance. That you got to wait even you know four or five or six games into the season before they're going to start coming down on Carson Wentz unless you know he uh, gets off to a great start, and that's going to be a really big question mark because their offensive line, uh, he's going to have a lot of trouble. He holds the ball you know a little a little bit longer than most quarterbacks do. And uh, but going back to the name for real quickly, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I still don't know who the I don't know who the Cleveland Indians are when they put the scores up on the board. I I can't remember their name. 
<laughs> I, I don't remember their name. It, it, it does take some getting used to. Um, and they're trying, it's going to be a while before I think everybody gets used to that. And even after that, people are going to still identify them as the Redskins. One of the things that you hear is, I've heard on multiple occasions from a lot of people is, I'm not a Commanders fan. I'm not a Washington football team fan. I'm a Redskins fan. Sort of right. like people saying, I'm not a Dodgers fan. I'm a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, not an L.A. Dodgers fan when they moved. That sort of feeling, like the team that they were a fan of no longer exists. And that just goes back to this like, negative feeling that has surrounded the team for quite a while. Roger? Well, you know, you, you always wonder uh, if things had been different with uh, the, the management, the ownership, uh, et cetera, uh, whether maybe the Redskins name would still be in place. Because everything I ever saw, the uh, Indian uh, population, uh, they they weren't against uh, taking the name away, were they? It, it, the problem was the survey that they always cite to say that was one that Dan Snyder paid for. Oh, okay. So um, I'm sure that if Dan Snyder wanted to go out and find a group of you know, a, tr- a, a nation, uh, a group of a thousand Native Americans to say that they supported naming the team the Redskins. I'm sure that he could do it. Um, you know, the feelings were not always as great around that team name as people started to realize. Like, hey, this is actually kind of offensive. Like, in the, even when you look it up in the dictionary, they're like pejorative terms antiquated, mm-hmm. not used, offensive. So mm-hmm. you know, there is something to be said about that. It's not like they were named the, um, you know, the, 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 the Seminoles or, or, or the Sioux or something like that where they were actually playing, playing that they were paying tribute to a, 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 a nation. And a tribe. Add on yeah, to the tribe. Fact that, that, yeah, and add on to the, that fact that, you know, George Preston Marshall wasn't exactly the most progressive thinker on the face of the planet. You know, he traded away the draft pick uh, for um, Ernie Davis and said he wouldn't draft a black player until the Harlem Globetrotters signed the white guy. Oh, Uh Uh Hard to believe something like that was ever said, isn't it, Don? Frank? Yeah, it was, you know, uh, there's a new book out on Jackie Robinson, a four-part series. I'm going to do a little interview uh, next Monday night uh, the, with the author of the, of the book. And, uh, you know, you, you can't believe the things that happened. I mean, it just uh, it, it doesn't it – doesn't, in today's world, it doesn't seem possible. But yet, uh, you know, some of the things that are happening today on the other side are maybe as bad as what happened. You know, as, as people say, well, we had no – we had no connection with slaves. We had no connection, you know, the white supremacy, all this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, and a woman steals what? How many? Millions and millions and millions, millions of dollars. Millions. You know, I mean, it's it, it's crazy. I mean, it, you know, it's just as bad. No matter where you look at it, everybody's bad. The world's a mess. It's In many scary. ways. Yeah. Let's get to your belly work for a second, Mike, because you're a hockey. I mean, you're a, a, a soccer a, aficionado, to use the best term. 
Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of unrest overseas in the stands here. What's going on? <laughs> I assume that you're talking about the uh, Champions League final on Saturday. That is correct. Which is, that is correct. Which is uh, Europe's version of the Super Bowl. And it was what? It was delayed 36 minutes because uh, UEFA and the stadium claimed that the, at first that the fans were arriving late and they needed more time to get them into the stands because as you looked around, the end that was dedicated to Liverpool was basically empty. It's since come out that there were issues involved getting people into the stadium. The French authorities at the um, Stade de France are claiming that 30,000 to 40,000 Liverpool fans showed up with counterfeit tickets that delayed uh, entry. Um, the Liverpool fans, of course, are sent, uh, who are, look, they're one of the most maligned fan, sport, sporting fan groups that you can imagine. Uh, they fought for 20 years to have their name cleared for involvement in one of the worst stadium disasters in modern history, the, 19, um, the 92 Hillsborough disaster, when, um, I'm sorry, the, the Hillsborough disaster in 92 Liverpool fans were crushed due to um, poor uh, procedures by the police, and it came out that the police were at fault, not the fans. So this is a, a group of fans that have had a lot of experience with, you know, issues like this. Uh, if they could counterfeit 30,000 tickets, it is the single greatest counterfeiting operation ever, and I'd give them 100% credit if they were able to do that. But it just looks like some bad... Um, they were just unprepared. And I said on my own show on Monday, on Tuesday when we did the soccer show, like, I don't understand why these people don't come over to the United States and see this. Uh, we've been running Super Bowls for how many years? And we've never had something like that happen. We just, in the space of a month, had tens of thousands of people go to a college football national championship game and a Super Bowl. Both events had as many, if not more, people that showed up to this game. Yeah. And we were able to process them in in an orderly manner. There was, you didn't hear anything like that. So I, I, just, I don't understand how that continues to happen in European soccer when the answers for procedures are so simple. You can just go and say, hey, look, I'm going to sit around at the vet for an Army-Navy game and see how you guys do this, or um, at Lincoln Financial and see how you guys do this. I've been to any number uh, Army Navy games at Lincoln Financial and watch, and there's nothing like that that's ever happened. No. Roger? Well, the uh, what do you think uh, is going to happen? There's a lot of movement that's been uh, with what I've seen with uh, the Atlanta United, Mike. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, player like i think one guy went to venezuela national team and i think i'm right mm-hmm. about that and yeah uh, what's going on i mean there's just a lot of movement so right now we're into the last of the international windows for this season uh until pretty much the world cup so you have a lot of players who are on international duties for various qualifiers friendlies for example the united states men's national team is currently playing Morocco. Uh, they're up 2 nothing right now. It's an exhibition, but then next, they'll play four games in the next 
two weeks. Uh, you know, two of them are exhibition games, and then they have these two, um, you know, confederation games to play before they're done until pretty much November. Uh, overseas, Ukraine. Uh, I was going to get to this, but thanks for that, Roger. Uh, Ukraine played their first competitive game since the war, and they beat uh, Scotland today to advance one more step to uh, towards the World Cup. They'll have a game against Wales on Sunday, which if they win, uh, you know, Ukraine, who has 10 players who play in the Ukrainian league, which was suspended after the war, who haven't played competitive football since the beginning of the year, um, they'll be representing their country in the World Cup. And it's of note to the United States because our first game in the World Cup in November is against whoever wins this game on Sunday. So I think part of the movement that you're seeing, Roger, is just everybody leaving for international duty. The other thing with Atlanta United is that they're really struggling. This is the most expensive team in, uh, ever assembled in MLS, and they're, just, they're massively underperforming, and it's a lot of small mistakes. Uh, they competed, I think it is, nine or ten goals from corner kicks, which is just a matter of paying attention and defending. And the manager simply spent hours working on this training, and then the first time you see it again, you can mess up. So it's just the simple mistakes that they're making, so they're trying to figure out how to cover for injuries, and how to maximize the roster that they have. Well, that makes sense. Rangers on a power play right now with 2.25 to go in the first period. It remains Tampa Bay 1, the Rangers 1, and uh, the goaltending has been, as we anticipated, pretty spectacular so far in the first period of this, uh, of this hockey game. Roger? It always is, Don, in any champion, NHL championship uh, series of any kind. Uh, goaltending is the uh, the key. A- any, um, I guess there's no movement until after the Stanley Cup, uh, Mike, as far as the Capitals go, right? Um, they have a big question to deal with. With uh, There's no movement as far as players. Um, we expect that the coaching staff will be all back. They do have a big question with Nicholas Backstrom who's going under the knife for hip surgery again, this caused him to miss uh, the first couple of months of the season, and it's a reoccurrence of an injury that he had surgery on a few years ago that's not healed. So he's going under the knife again, uh, and there are a lot of questions about whether or not he can be effective after this. They've got... A young kid, I believe Connor McMichael, who's a center, who they want to get more involved. You know, the stats show that Backstrom just isn't as effective. He's not as fast as he used to be. Even his, and they said, well, you can account for the lack of speed, but his passing and his vision are valuable to the team. But the passing hasn't been there. He hasn't been as effective with the stick. So there have been a lot of issues and a lot of questions surrounding him. Uh, T.J. Oshie, again, is going to be his future with the team, even though he has the contract, is going to be a question. And they have to make a decision that goalkeeper, both Ilyas and Sonal and Vitek Manichek are restricted free agents. They're not going to re-sign both of them. Uh, Vanacek has played more, and Sonal supposedly has the higher ceiling, but 
they're not sure. So it's going to be really interesting to see which one of them they keep. So while there's no movement right now, there are a lot of questions that they're looking for as they head into this offseason after the Stanley Cup. Well, he's got a power play. Uh, He just shut down the Rangers on a power play. There's 50 seconds to go in this first period. It is once again uh, 1-1. So, uh, as you pointed out, Roger, when you get it, and I think Roy pointed out the same thing, uh, when you get into the Stanley Cup uh, at this level, uh, you know, close games are really the order of the day. And whether you get get into overtime, so – First of all, let's that uh, let's Mike. Let's get your uh, what's your assessment on this series? Do you like the Rangers, even though they're the home team? Do you, th- you, you think they got a shot to beat the Lightning or no? As long as you're the champs and the two-time defending champs, until you're defeated, I'm going to stick with you. So I'm going to go with the uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, How many games? Uh, I do think because it just seems like the Rangers like to play seven-game series. I'm going to pick it seven, and I think the Rangers, the uh, but I think the Lightning are eventually going to come out. The Rangers have played some long series, and it's a long season. Uh, the Lightning, on the other hand, had got through Florida pretty quickly. I think they're a little bit fresher, which is ultimately going to pay dividends for them. Uh, gentlemen, before I lose you guys, because I know that Doug's coming up, uh, two things just happened. I'm watching the, the uh, U.S. men's national team. They scored a penalty, and a young guy by the name of Malik Tillman just came on. A dual national from Germany. His father's American. His mother is German. Uh, he played for the German national team all the way up until uh, he was 20, and last week filed paperwork to change to play for the U.S. men's national team. We've seen that happen a couple of times. But for the first time, Germany actually lost a player that they wanted to keep. Like, apparently, the German coaching staff on the national team were very upset that he did this. They talked to him for hours trying to convince him to change his mind um, and talked about his future. He plays uh, with the German national team. Uh, He plays for Bayern Munich, which is by far the biggest club team in Germany. So he's a kid that – another young talent that's joining an immensely – talented, uh, youthful U.S. men's national team and one that bears watching. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to uh, see moving uh, along, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's a name to pay attention to if he makes the squad for uh, next November. I mean, this kid is apparently one of the more talented young midfielders in Germany, and they were quite upset. So, hey, after all of the times that Germany has beaten the U.S., they can take they, – they, they can Take that one and stick it. <laughs> hey, amen, Mike. Amen. Tell us how you really feel, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have said. I was going to say he chose. To, he at least had the common sense to choose the side that won the war. <laughs> that's, that's good. I'll tell you. Well, I tell you, it's amazing right now all the things that are going on and. Uh, uh, you know, with the with the hockey, with the baseball, with ba- with the basketball, in uh, the uh, NBA playoffs. Give me a give me a shot on the uh, Golden State Warriors. What do you think about the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics? Golden State has been there and done that before, and of course they've got the coach and the players who know how to go in there and do this, but. Jason Tatum right now is just 
on a different level with how he is playing for the Boston right. Celtics. And how they're able to contain him in this series will make all the difference. I also think this one's going to be a really tight one. I think that this one has all the makings of going seven games um, because it's just going to be punch-counterpunch. You know, you've got two of the better coaches in the league. You've got two of the better teams in the league. You've got some of the best players in the league. And those between-game adjustments, how they defend, how they rotate, all of those things that we don't necessarily see when we're watching the actual game, but I think are going to show up. And well, I don't think I'm you can see Tatum. Play. Tatum's not going to be able to take any nights off in this series. I mean, a couple of the series earlier on, uh, you know, he uh, he didn't show too well. Uh, he had some you. great games. He had some really classic record-setting games, but then he also had some non-factor games. He's not going to be able to do that against Golden State. And I think the other thing is, you know, they've got the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, on the Celtics. How healthy he is, he missed some of the game in the series against Miami, is going to be important. But when you've got a player like Steph Curry, he's just going to shoot over you anyway. Um, how much does that uh, affect? Uh, how much uh, will his presence be nullified? And as we're talking because you mentioned baseball, hey, Roger, how many times have you fired Joe Girardi this show? <laughs> Not enough. They <laughs> <laughs> should be gone. <laughs> got to well, get him out of town. Six five right now in the bottom of the eighth inning, trying to break a six-game losing streak. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how they make out, whether they get through that ninth inning. Schwarber hit a home run to give them a, two, uh, give them a uh, six to five lead. And uh, it's one of the few home runs that the Phillies have hit during the season of at least it was one runner on base, and that was well, enough to give them the lead. Well, Doug Hamilton is all set to go, as you said, Mike. And uh, have a great thank week. you very much once again for your for your Appreciate input. You. A lot of things that we talked about. Thank. We'll talk to you next week. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Have a good Thanks, week. Mike. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Doug, are you are you in the car, or are you at home residing, watching a little baseball on TV or hockey on TV? What are you doing? Uh, I'm on the road again, man. I tell you what, I was telling Frank. I mean, I'm, you know, out the door by usually eight in the morning, and here I am. I'll get home at about ten. So, long day. And uh, Memorial Day weekend was a was a, a big weekend for us. Long weekend. Um, you know, I was really pleased to see a lot of our members. Uh, play How many players did you get over the three days? And, you know, I <laughs> I haven't licked my my wounds enough yet to count all the numbers up. I was just trying to float for a little while there because it was – I had a crossover going. I had people going off of 1 and 10 and 12 and all over the daggone place. So, um, you know, my major concern was running out of golf carts because we only have 45 carts. So I was trying to figure out how I could, you know, do all this and not, you know, run out and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there was a lot of moving parts to the weekend, and I survived. So – I'll figure that out. Also learning how to get those people to play in 90-degree weather. You know, you go from 65 well, to 90 all of a sudden. That's a big change when you get out in that golf course. Well, it is, and it was it was really humid this this past couple of days, even today. And, uh, you know, so we, we do things. Like I have my outside staff take uh, washcloths and put them in, uh, like, ice and water, and then we run them out to members so they can kind of towel off and, you know, we're, we're always trying to make sure that the water stations are full and, and we run, 
you know, cups of ice and different things out to them and, and try to keep them safe. We have um, in the golf house, I've got a bathroom area where um, I've got sunscreen and some different products to hopefully, you know, encourage them to stay safe. And, um, you know, we monitor that kind of stuff because the, the membership itself is, is an older membership. So, I mean, I do have concerns. And in many cases, a lot of them will only play nine holes in a lot of that heat. So um, that's also, you know, pretty good, too. All right. Roger? The uh, how how are golf sales uh, this year compared to last year? Since I'm I'm in sales, well, I'm always interested in the numbers. Yeah. I think it, you know at least for me in the shop, I can't necessarily say that it's it's apples to apples only because you know last year at this time, you know I had just gotten a lot of my LLC established and I didn't really have an inordinate amount of product to sell, uh, so I can tell you that I'm. You know, worlds worlds ahead of where I was last year, just in sheer fact that I have more product, even though that's somewhat compromised by the supply chain as we know it. But what I can tell you is my golf club sales this year have been incredible. I mean, I have two guys on my staff that have been really, really good with, you know, lessons in club fittings and encouraging people to buy some of the new technology. Um, the TaylorMade Stealth Driver, I think, is by far the most popular club I've sold. Um you know, and aside from that, I mean, there's we've had some really successful fitting days um, to get people in and, and try some of the product, and we've had a lot of new members. And um, you know, look, when you're when you're handling their bags, loading them up, and giving them lessons and those sorts of things, you know, you you can make suggestions to these individuals on you know what clubs you think they need or what clubs are are old. Your wedges don't have grooves, or you don't have the proper gapping in your sets, or those sorts of things. So. Um, it's been a really good year for club sales. Oh, that's anything particularly new that uh, we talked about golf balls last year. We talked about clubs. We talked about. I know you're uh, you lead tour titleists and uh, uh, and have for yeah. some time. Uh, but is there is there anything really uh, significant that you should talk about this year as we start the season, or no? Well. Um, you know, I, I am a Titleist guy, and, and I think this is a fairly down year for Titleist. Um, they'll they'll introduce their new driver and in, in woods in probably the August-September time frame, so I'm curious to see, you know, how that lands in terms of the traditional nature of Titleist and whether they're, um, you know, uh, apt to, to, to kind of change away from that because you'll see the TaylorMade Stealth Driver, again, by far has been my most popular seller, but the, the face of that club is a carbon is a carbon based face, which is totally different, I think, than what we've really seen in the in the market to date. Um, the Callaway products, I think, have, have been pretty good in a close second in my shop. Um, you know, aside from that, um, you know, golf bags. Um, I've sold quite a few golf bags. Actually, push carts. Push carts have done very well in my shop because I think you're seeing post-pandemic, uh, people are looking to save a buck or two and not rent golf carts. They want to be outside, yet they don't want to carry their own golf bag. You know, So they're, they're buying their own push carts, which are collapsible, and they fold them up and they put them in their trunk or what have you, or, or I store them. And, um, you know, they can walk and not have to carry their bag. So... You know, there's some, there's been some good products out there. Yeah, Roger? they can also take them to Florida when they go to Florida in their car, too. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, your old standbys of uh, golf balls, gloves, hats, 
you know, kind of your quick turn items have, have done fairly well. Um, you know, I've had to start the season, I've already had uh, three different, four different outside outings that, you know, you have a, you have a, you know, built-in market there because you have gift certificates for people that win and, you know, in many cases they're looking for your club's logo uh, that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. So, you know, your, your standard apparel and shirts and in, in my shop, I've, I've done uh, some different things with more lifestyle product in terms of, you know, uh, joggers, T-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, those sorts of things that are more either gym or, or comfort-based uh, in addition to, and, and the reason I did that was to appeal to maybe our tennis or social or what have you kind of non-golf uh, enthusiasts that, that might still want the logo in different places that they could wear, you know, to the gym, around the house, to the grocery store, what have you. Now, we here in this particular area are going to miss this storm, but how about you? It's coming right up. Uh, it's going to come through the central part of Jersey and up into New York. Uh, are you in the path of that yeah. storm at all with all the, with all the hail and everything yeah. else you're talking about? I believe we're at least in, in an area that's going to require us to watch and, and, and be warned uh, thereabouts. So um, I think tomorrow afternoon kind of post 2, 3 o'clock could be, you know, the potential for some for some storms and, and those sorts of things. So, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't like the, the heat and the humidity that, that we typically get here in not necessarily, you know, May and June, but definitely July and August. So if, if this can bring us, uh, you know, like a 75, 80-degree day uh, for the next week or so, I'm I'm all in on that. Roger? Yeah, we've had uh, some storms here. and But I'll tell you, Don, up in the uh, Philadelphia area, uh, well, you've seen it too where you are, there have been more storms in the last year that I've gotten bulletins about uh, that I ever remember in yeah. my lifetime. Okay. You're right. The one thing know, Roger, too, about it is they've been coming up. They've been coming up 195. They really haven't been coming toward the shore here. We've been like a sort of a 10 mile window between uh, I 195 and the and the ocean, and they've been shooting right up there toward New York, New York, New York. But we really haven't. I mean, we've had you know minimal. Uh, you know, minimal rain and so forth, but you know, no, no big storms compared to what everybody else has gotten. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I talked to my uh, former neighbor uh, in Royersford, and uh, and we talked about it, going, you know, texting or, or or in conversation, and it's just amazing because I get these uh, announcements, uh, bulletins from on the weather from like a Calla Hill, Pennsylvania. It's like uh, it seems like it's like two or three times a week. Uh, it's just amazing. And of course, right. that uh, tornado people in uh, the Orland area, uh, outside of Philadelphia, Montgomery County, they are still recovering. Uh, they haven't gotten the houses uh, rebuilt yet, and that's that was months ago. Right, Doug. Let's get to football for a minute because the Ravens are. Uh, you keep a pretty good uh, eye on them as well as the Orioles yep. and. Uh, the practice started a little bit. Everybody's getting a little feel for football right now. Uh, what's your thought? Yeah. Well, it's early off season. You know, they're going to do their OTAs. They had one round. I believe they have another one scheduled. And um, lo and behold, I've got, uh, uh, I don't know, 32 of the Ravens coaches uh, 
you know, staff, et cetera, uh, coming out Friday afternoon to play. So I'll see Coach Harbaugh. I'll see Coach McDonald. I'll see uh, Coach Roman and, and a lot of these guys playing at home. And, um, you know, Coach Harbaugh is always good for a laugh or two. He's he's pretty witty, and, uh, um, you know, we usually have a couple good conversations. So um, it's nice to see those guys, you know, off the field and, and having a little fun and, and – um, uh, they'll, they'll probably have a, a few adult beverages along the way, which will make it even more fun. So, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, they have a lot of a lot of talent. I think that they they procured from the draft, and I think obviously the the biggest story is the fact that Lamar wasn't there for the first uh, session of OTAs, and of course, you know, everybody everybody wants to run with that and make a big deal out of it. But I think he's he's kind of squashed a lot of the, a lot of that on his social media uh, in an effort to say, look, man, uh, I'll be there. Just just relax. Uh, so. I don't foresee it as a big deal um, at this point. And, um, you know, I look forward to him gaining comfort with, you know, some of his new targets and um, tight ends particularly. And I want to see how uh, Coach McDonald crafts his defense with, um, you know, a little differently than Wake Martindale probably would have with maybe less pressure, but um, a little bit different base defense. So I'm I'm curious. Um, I met Coach McDonald um, last Last week, I think one of my members brought him out. L.J. Fort, who uh, used to play for the Ravens, is a member, and uh, brought Coach McDonald out. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Um, you could tell that there was an intensity level somewhere inside there that was that was waiting to come out. Uh, but I think he's he's kind of a player's coach, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what he can do with that same Ravens defense um, in a different fashion. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe I'll get some scoop for you Friday. Hey, Doug, did John Harbaugh follow you from the old club to the new club? Uh, he did not. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, look, Coach Harbaugh, even when he was at Hayfields, never really played that much. Um, I mean, he, he spends an inordinate amount of time in and around the castle and that facility and, um, you know, sharpening his, his blades on, on uh, you know, everything that he can to make that football team the best it can be. Um, you know, and for, for that, you know, I mean, being being a coach isn't a part-time job. So, I mean, he's got a lot on his plate and, and wants to be very successful. And, um, you know, he may have joined Cave Valley. I'm not certain of that. But I know that Ozzie Newsom is a member at Woodholm, and I know that was the connection the first time that he played there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we'll, we'll see him again Friday. And, it's look, it's a, it's a good revenue day for the club. It's a, It's good. Um, I've got a um, Instagram account that my wife manages uh, for the for the golf shop, and I'll take some pictures and, and post that on there. And a lot of the members like to see that stuff and follow that stuff and be a part of that. So, um, you know, social media is a pretty pretty Roger, big Roger, the uh, Phillies have know, broken their six-game uh, losing streaks. Weber's home run wins it for them by the score of six to five. So the Phillies are back on the winning track. <laughs> Long time in coming, but they finally got it done today. And, uh, yeah. Only thing I can, can say they both to you. Can both came in to, to uh, save it? But at least Nola got the win. Thank goodness. I think. Uh, uh, not too John, sure about that. Oriole score. I think. Yeah, was, they scored. They scored uh, when he was still there. He was still in when they scored. Yeah, that's what what I read. Just a minute. Let me see. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't really. I don't really. I'm watching the game, and I saw the winner was Schwarber no home run, but I didn't know that he was still in the game when that happened. He was. Yeah, that was he in was the seventh in. inning. Yeah, the uh, it said that Nola was the uh, winner. 
good. Okay, oh, good see, for him. No, you know what happened, Don, okay, was this they brought Nick Matana or Matin, okay, and he played tonight, and he was two for four, and he hit the three-run homer. That's right. And this kid was was really playing well last year, and I couldn't figure out why they didn't keep him out of spring training, but maybe he didn't look that good. I don't know. But I, just I don't know. know that I'll tell you, they wound up last night in a desperate situation because they wind up with, you know, uh, not only Segura breaking his uh, index finger with, you know, trying to bunt the ball, but uh, yeah, exactly. then they don't have any place to replace it. You know, the base is loaded in the 11th inning and it's 7-4, to four, and they got a batter, a center fielder, who said he won 57. I mean, that's all Joe had left. <laughs> yeah, well, he 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 was he was out he was uh, out for assignment, uh, Roman Quinn, because you know he tried to steal on Sunday and he got nailed. Yeah, okay, he got thrown out. Remember that? But yep. you know, Doug, I wanted to just get I wanted to get back to uh, about uh, the, what you were saying. You know, talking about the uh, yeah. ball and uh, uh, the club and everything. And I I was thinking about uh, and you're right about uh, social media. Uh, and, and I think what you were saying about Instagram and you're able to promote your store and everything. But the, the other thing yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking about is that when you have, or what I was going to say is that when Mike Smith was uh, uh, the uh, coach of the Falcons, <clears throat> excuse me, he had a media uh, a day at the golf course because I, I was invited several yeah. times. But I only went once, and right. I embarrassed myself enough that I'm not a golfer, so I didn't go back. But I had a good time. And but I'll tell yeah. you, the guys I played with as a team, they 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 did not appreciate me. I mean, they liked me, you know, but they didn't <laughs> like me as a golfer. <laughs> right. Sure. They they told me they didn't like well, your period. That was uh, they said no, they, were no, they told me they liked me. They didn't like me as a golfer. That's what they said. But anyway, Mike Mike was great, and, uh, you know, everybody got a nice bag, Falcons bag, the whole nine yards. And, and I will we'll have to have Mike on sometime uh, because I, he's down in, I think, we're still living in Jacksonville area. and But he was, real, you know, really a great coach and, and a great guy. And, uh, and I think that, you know, that's maybe what needs to be done today because the media does not yeah. get access like they used to, like Don and I used to get. I mean, where you could go into the locker room any a day of the week, you do an interview, and I can remember right. uh, going in one time when Jeff Garcia was playing for the Eagles, and he held the door for me, you know, going <laughs> into the locker room. Right. You don't see that anymore. It's well, unfortunate. We'll have, we'll have uh, mid-June, I think it's June 13th, uh, Jonathan Ogden will have his annual charity event at Wood Home. And I know that, you know, some of the local uh, news stations, particularly Channel 13, which is WJZ, uh, they'll, they'll come out. And Mark Viviano was there last year, and he did an interview. Um, I was hanging around there. I was hoping he would ask me for an interview, but I didn't make the cut last year. Maybe maybe this year I can get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watch Jeopardy!, the uh, the uh, champion now is one over two hundred thousand. Uh, he's a, uh, a, a like a Uber driver in Philadelphia. It's an unbelievable story, and uh, he was talking about uh, 
waiting to uh, see Obama in 2006 at the, uh, and Don and I know where this is, the Mayfair Diner on Frankfurt Avenue. And uh, so he mentioned the Mayfair Diner. That's where he was waiting. And he said, I hope they'll remember this and give me a free sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) So what you got to do, Doug, is get on there and publicize your golf shot. That's the big thing. Yeah. Right. Maybe the you need to Orioles, Doug. Yeah, the Orioles are doing yeah. better. Let's talk. Let's talk about those Orioles. They, last I checked, they were up four-two tonight. Uh, I don't know what else. Maybe an inning or two ago. I, I lost track. But uh, I mean, they they took the series in New York from the Yankees. They took the series in Boston from the Red Sox. Five, right. You know, one of five game series with. And. Um, they're up six to two now. Take notice. They're up Atta six to two now. I think um, I think some teams are starting to take notice of the Orioles. I think they're uh, they're they're. You can definitely when you watch the games, you can definitely feel there's a different vibe and there's a different excitement level that that um, you know some things are starting to change and you can see it happening right before your eyes. And I think the next component of this is is. Um, you know, they've got two or three different guys um, in double and triple A that are getting really close to being ready from a pitching standpoint. So, you know, look, where the rubber meets the road here is uh, they, they get their prospects going and do their thing, and then I think all of a sudden maybe it's going to require them to spend a few dollars and, and, and reach out and, you know, probably get some free agents to add to their to their team from a veteran standpoint. So, um, you know, I don't know. They're, they're probably still another year – or two away, and let's not forget they have the number one overall pick in this year's amateur draft as well. So right, you know, they're right. going to they're going to continue to stock they're going to continue to stock their their cupboards, and uh, they're they're starting to move some prospects uh, all the way through their systems at every level. I mean, their their single A team is fabulous. Their double A and triple A teams are also really good, and they've got prospects at every level that can contribute at some point, I think. Uh, so it, they've been fun to watch for me. Well, yeah, Doug, they brought yeah, that kid up. Roger and I had a lot of uh, to see the new ballpark. Tell us, what's your observation with the new uh, the new wall? You know, that guy Mike Elias is all about analytics, and I think that he was had some algorithm or something that that he plugged in and decided that that was going to make a difference in, in enough games potentially. And I think being a fan and watching the games, I think that so far this year um, he's been right. Um, you know, I, Trey Mancini hit a ball off that wall tonight about four-fifths of the way up top of that wall, which would have been a home run in about 29 other places, including Camden last year, and it wasn't. So, I mean, it's it's made a difference for both for both teams, and I think their pitching staff, and particularly their bullpen, uh, which is really good this year, has reaped some of those rewards of that. So um, I'm going to guess it worked. All right, have fellas, we're out of time. Frank tells us tick, tick, have tock, a great the clock week, is running. Roger, thank you very much. Thank Roy, you. thank you thank very you. much. God bless. Doug, Have a thank great you week. very much. We'll all get Thanks, together Doug. next week. And our commander-in-chief, Frank Carroll, is taking care of it. Go to it, Frank. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, everybody, for being on tonight. It was a great show. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the fire services, the doctors and nurses at the hospital, and, of course, the wonderful people to clean up afterwards. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening. Um, these programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty, Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, 
throwing David Curtis, throwing Jeffrey Gadget. <clears throat> throwing David Curtis, Thomas, Sergeant Thomas Badinger. Uh, patrolman uh, Ricky, uh, sorry, Patrol Deputy uh, Ricky Childers, Deputy uh, Detective Randy Childers, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, uh, Charlie, uh, Officer Char- Charlie Condit, Tarkin Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Senator Jewish Craig Wheeler, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levy, Westbrook County Sheriff's Department, and Patrol Officer Renato uh, Crespin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman uh, Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Pikus, Wilmington Fire Department, and Trooper Joe, Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogan, Long Beach Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, sometime will be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads raise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly in your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. God bless and have a great week. Shemarek Mahilama Shemahezahilma Sona Shenevorat Fed Hakuig again, my Elma. Yeah.
County Dispatch in 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999's response to the last emergency. May God rest his soul.